everyone, and welcome to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Berry. Today, Kevin is speaking with Aiden Curran. Aiden is a former collegiate soccer player in the U.S. and is the owner of a soccer-specific remote training business called 90 Minutes Fitness. In this episode, they discuss why Aiden wanted to play in the U.S., the high expectations placed upon international players, problems with fitness and strength testing, and why players need to play in a team environment consistently. Aiden, I appreciate you coming on to talk today on New Year's Eve. Thank you. No, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I know we've had kind of similar backgrounds and extent we're from the same area at home. We've kind of played at the same level as well, but our journey has been a lot different um, in America. Can you talk about kind of when you first decided that you did want to go to America, um, how you went there and some of your biggest learning experiences or challenges as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's quite good. It's like you said, we kind of ended up in the same place as such um, but had kind of different paths to get there really so for myself it was kind of just started like yourself just in school by football in Waterford um, just kind of played with CB Celtic, Ballydoff so kind of minor enough clubs but had a great time there and improved a lot while I was there never never played for any development sides and so never played for kind of the Waterford teams anything like that Kennedy Cup um, it was just I think Kind of, as you know yourself, kind of our age group at the time, I think there was just such talent in that at the time, especially as defenders as well. You had players who most went on to do something in football. So you had like Derek Williams, Connor Morris, who went across to England. You had a lot of players who went to, to the US as well, like yourself, Adam Potter as well. It was Evan Connolly. So it was quite a strong, strong group that I had to kind of break into. And I suppose just at that time, I wasn't kind of developed enough as such. So well, I kind of didn't. I kind of kept going, kept working at it and things, and kind of got injured then when I was about 17. So I had to kind of take a bit of a step back, um, ended up getting hip surgery. Um, so that took a while to recover from. But again, like I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to kind of push on in football and do something kind of with, with my career as such. So just kind of figuring out what the next step would be. I suppose my interest kind of first started to go to the US when I was about 16. Um, it was just something, I think just the possibility of playing full-time and experiencing that kind of full-time level and training every day and things like that it was just something that appealed to me also just being able to study as well was kind of a big appeal to me as well because I was I was I suppose quite quite good academically as well and I kind of wanted to pursue that as well so the kind of the opportunity to do both was kind of very appealing to me and I think the chance for me to kind of like other players did go across England that it just wasn't going to happen so I kind of had to figure out a different route to go down so I think once I finished secondary school at that time, due to my injuries, I kind of wasn't in a position to go to the US. So I kind of just set my sights on going to UCD, which is just kind of, my, it was one of the best places to go for football, really. Um, they're very strong in every year throughout university competitions. They're either winning it or there and thereabouts. So it was kind of the place I needed to go to if I wanted to kind of push on and, and play at the next level. So I got my kind of applications names literally just UCD it was like one to four it was only four options it was all UCD there was nothing else kind of considered so it was either that was happening or it wasn't happening at all so luckily enough I got in um went to UCD studied uh history at the time I wasn't like again I wasn't too concerned what I was studying it was mainly for the football that I went there and as you know yourself the facilities in UCD are, are excellent you know you have the the gym and I lived on campus as well and then for my second and third year just off campus so I was so close to to facilities that I used kind of to the best of my advantage. So I had AstroTurf pitches, grass pitches, gym, everything. So it was just kind of a dream for me coming from 
Waterford, I guess, was out in the country as well where I lived. I mean, it was 30 minutes to a gym that basically had like a, a treadmill and maybe a barbell and that was about yeah. it. So I was like, it was just fantastic for me to have access to all these facilities. Um, when I went to UCD first, like I said, I was only coming off just a surgery. So I actually ended up not even making the UCD uh, team in my first year. So I just kind of went away and just kind of worked hard and kind of joined the, a team in Dublin, just in the Leinster Senior League, which is quite a good level, but it, it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And I suppose that was kind of my first kind of big failure as such. And like having kind of, arranged my life so that I could go to UCD and then for the main reason I went there for it not to happen it was quite a kind of a kick in the teeth really but um went away just worked hard ended up doing well at that team and then just ended up contacting the UCD manager then just to see if I come in and train in pre-season and that's what I kind of did um so over the summer I used to travel from Waterford to Dublin um kind of three four times a week um just I was on trial basically for about two three months or so just all over pre-season um ended up signing with the team then just in the in the Leinster Senior League and just for anyone that's not familiar with the UCD kind of systems you have the first team who train or play in the League of Ireland then you have kind of Leinster Senior League first team who play it's just a really good league I mean it's basically League of Ireland um it's just based not the commitment levels of League of Ireland and then you have kind of they have two additional teams under that so they'd have like a freshers team and then just another team as well so kind of I just started at the very very bottom team um, had a few good games in that and worked my way up and then at the end of my second year I just kind of uh, benched for the first the the first team in the Leinster Senior League so that was a good experience just against Crumlin last so it's kind of a, a bit of a crazy journey for me to go from basically not making the team in my first year to kind of making that kind of big step up to kind of the first team in that so now it was a good experience kind of and then I suppose this is where kind of the American kind of thing really took off for me because between my second year and third year in college so third year was my final year I um went to just uh, for these soccer agencies that do kind of arrange scholarships for for players in the US. So I just went to a trial day, basically just to keep fitness, just to play kind of 11 v 11. So it was completely by chance. It was like 10 euro to play the game and that was it. So I kind of just went to just keep my fitness up and I've just ended up like obviously listening to the presentation and stuff and they kind of liked as well what they saw and kind of came back to me and said that like, although you'd be going as a graduate student that the US are kind of looking for older players to go now kind of in a graduate situation so it just kind of it's just something I thought kind of long and hard on it was a massive decision but I kind of let the American dream go as such kind of back when I didn't go when I was 18 19 so to to consider it when I was 21 22 was something that I wasn't kind of thinking too much about but then it came about and I was like it's just if it's there it's a wonderful opportunity it's something I always wanted to do so yeah, just went ahead with it. As you know, it's just like a massive, it's quite a big amount of money as well that you pay for something that you could get like a $500 scholarship or you could get quite a decent scholarship. So it was kind of a lot of back and forth between me and them just for the, the last year, the, the years of my third year, my final year of college. Um, and it was only in April that I actually got the interest from the University of Finley, who I ended up going to. But like I said, between that time, I didn't know if I was going or what was going to happen. So, well, eventually it did happen, and um, yeah, got 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 quite a, a full tuition scholarship. So that was like fantastic for me because really expensive, as you know, to mm-hmm. go to college in the US and that. So that was going to be a huge barrier if I ended up getting like a, a smaller scholarship. So that's basically kind of how I ended up in the US, and it was kind of a, a long path to it. And I didn't know when it was going to happen or if it was going to happen, but. Like eventually it did and like I think in the end it did kind of work out for me really. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize how close her stories are. Um, for me, uh, I trained up at UCD. We had uh, Irish school trials before, um, and that was the first time I had kind of seen their facilities up close. You know, I, I'd been up to the bowl to watch Waterford play years back, but to actually be on campus and look at the facilities, I was kind of taken aback and surprised because I didn't really realize there was that level or that quality um, of equipment and access in Ireland. So I looked up um, strength conditioning programs in Ireland when I was about 16, 17, and UCD was the only option at the time. And with the CAO, the point system, it was it was a lot of points. Like I, I did okay in school, but I wasn't, you know, four or 500 points in CAO. Um, so when I was in fifth year, I kind of had to make a decision if I wanted to keep German or um, study, you know, another language or give it up. And I, d- I decided to give up German, which kind of took away right away the opportunity to go to a university. Um, so for me, my journey did start a little bit earlier at like 16, 17. But like you said, UCD was my top option because I was playing um, League Vern under 20 at the time. It's now the like 17s, 19s league but at the time it was 20s and we used to play against UCD so I I used to see the setup there as well and they had a really good team under 20s at the time and um, only for like the CAO system I think I would have loved to be at UCD as well. Yeah no absolutely like I think the facilities are really really good and I think from kind of top team to the bottom team is the exact same way that you're treated so you get the same training gear for example you have access to the gym like everything like that so it's just kind of, I think for me, it was kind of someplace that I could go kind of work. There was, there was a pathway to work your way up. So it was just, it was a great choice for me. And I think it was something without it. I think I definitely kind of wouldn't be where I am today, really. Absolutely. So um, just taking a step back, when you did um, commit to University of Finley, um, were you looking at some of their academic programs or was it a case of, you know, get to America and play some football full time and see how it goes? Yeah, so again, for me, it was similar to UCD. It was uh, kind of just going there to play football and if the academics fitted in, kind of all well and good. Because initially, I kind of wanted to to do kind of athletic training. They had a good program there, but obviously didn't kind of fit in with the, the soccer schedule. So most kind of international players that went, they did do an MBA just because you could take a lot of online classes and there weren't many kind of uh, in-person classes either. It was basically, I think, four four or five hours a week um part-time so just in the evening so it was really really good just to fit in around the soccer schedule again Mm -hmm. for me a business I mean I came from from studying history and I was never good with like numbers or anything like that so the idea of like studying accountancy and finance and all that just wasn't most appealing to me but basically it was all that I could study so um ended up doing it graduating with it so it all worked out in the end but it was just kind of more for more for the football really that I went yeah, that makes sense. I, that's a, probably an important point to hit on because um, I, I work with a couple hundred kids now at university level and that's the reality is it can be tough to do, you know, an, um, a science major or a science degree or anything that requires internship or um, so an evaluation period. So for a lot of people, um, business and sport management usually is the go-to, you know, instead of some of those science programs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it just... As I said, I think just while we're on the subject, maybe as well, just that I think a lot of players who go to the US don't realise how important academics is. They think it's all about football and that, but I think you have to realise that unless you're doing well academically, you can't actually play. So I think that's where a lot of players fail, I think, as well, because they go out there just thinking that it's all all football and they don't realise that 
you actually have to keep up your grades as well. So it's like even when I was there, there was one or two players who would have dropped out a couple of internationals. So just like only lasted a few weeks basically because they came out there and just wasn't what they thought it would be. And I think that comes down to the preparation that you have to do beforehand as well. So I can imagine kind of like yourself, I was just really kind of, I did a lot of research on it and I kind of knew what I was getting myself into as such. And it was kind of many years of research whereas a lot of players go into it a little bit blindly and they don't kind of realise exactly what it's going to mm-hmm. entail. Even down to when you think about it, it's only like a two, two and a half month season as well, which is a massive adjustment if you're coming from Ireland or the UK where it's like a nine, 10 month season. Mm-hmm. And I remember even speaking with one player at the trials and I was like, how do you feel about kind of the season being so short? And he was like, what do you mean it's so short? And I was like, well, it's only like a two and a half month season. And he he didn't even know it was a two and a half month season and he was after committing to, to going there. And like, I think that's, that comes down to it, like just for, for anyone that might be listening to this that might be thinking of going, I think it's just important to do your research and to realise exactly what you're getting into and just try and try and speak with anyone who has gone through the experience and like just to get an idea of what the schedule is like because although it's a two and a half month season, it's a year round thing. So you do your off season workouts, there's like a smaller spring season as well. So, but really it's only competitive for kind of two and a half month season. And if you're looking to push on after your college career it's just important to realize as well that kind of like professional coaches agents whatever might not look too favorably on the fact you'd want to play kind of two and a half months out of the year whereas in Europe obviously they're playing nine ten months so mm-hmm. you just kind of want to know what you're getting into and just kind of realize exactly what it is before you commit to it yeah a lot of people make that mistake I can speak for a couple of players on my team too in undergrad um we had a Jamaican player that never seen snow before and so came over to one of the snowiest places in America. You know, it was snowing in October and it didn't stop till March or April. So uh, when I was looking at colleges, that initially was one of the things I was looking at was location. You know, even now um, where I work, I try and get, um, I try and stay around somewhere that has a major airport within, you know, 50 or 100 miles. So um, Philadelphia was at the time, uh, Buffalo as well, uh, um, still Philadelphia now, JFK. Um, but there are some smaller things like cost aside, um, location, you know, the cost of living of where you're going to be as well, I think is a big factor that a lot of people miss out on. Yeah, no, 100%, because I think, especially in the US as well, because a lot of international players go to smaller colleges, so where that be kind of D2 or NAIA, I think a lot of those colleges are in smaller little towns. So, for example, me and Finley, like it's a, it's it's a small enough town like there's no public transport or anything like that so like you get there and you just like there's nothing to do or there's nothing around or you can't get any place without asking somebody to drive you and things like that so I think a lot of players come thinking that it's like similar what they came from from home and that there's going to be like public transport and things like that but sometimes there's not and I think you have to factor in those kind of lifestyle things as well because it's important because if you don't if you're not happy kind of in in your living situation and in kind of where you're where you're living basically the town that you are like I mean it's going to translate over onto the pitch and you're not going to perform kind of to the best of your ability while you're on the pitch so it's important to do your research just on kind of where you're going to realize that it's not all going to be kind of Ohio State as such so it's not going mm-hmm. to be because I think especially in in presentations and stuff that you do kind of with soccer agencies they always play videos from say like you know stuff with Akron and stuff and like that and they get like thousands of fans to every kind of soccer game and it's like it's mm-hmm. better than some professional facilities that you have like around Europe but like there's thousands of colleges in the US and there's a chance that you could end up in 
some smaller state in a smaller town without like thousands of fans at each game and without that kind of real professional setup really yeah uh, what was your situation like when you got there was there any other Irish kids or internationals and did you live with you know some some random kids from the academic program or were you living with some players yes yeah, so and no, that was quite an ex- like a unique experience for me really because I think the year I came in they did a big push to recruit international players. So coming in the exact same year as me, there was um, there was about three or four. There was one English guy there before, and then there was kind of three English guys came in, and there was two Bulgarians and one German guy as well, and three of those were graduates as well. So like it was quite good to be coming in at the exact same time as them. Um, so we all kind of lived together just in like one one house as such so it was quite good obviously to experience with them but again like that comes with its challenges as well because you're living with like at one point there was like eight in the one house and stuff and like everyone different personalities different everything so like it's just a it's an experience and you kind of it does help you grow up I suppose as well kind of dealing with that sort of thing because again for me when I went there I was like really committed and like I knew what I wanted and stuff but like mm-hmm. not everyone is going to be on the same level as that and as you know yourself in college in America there's a big kind of like party culture and stuff like that so it can be kind of difficult if you're living with people like that and like I remember often like times where you wouldn't get like a wink of sleep because like they'd be downstairs and stuff and partying and things like that so Mm -hmm. it can be quite difficult but definitely it was a great experience for me to be kind of meeting people from from different backgrounds and things like that and there's something I wouldn't ever change because you know, kind of dealing with that does make you grow up, and it was it was it was great for me. Although very tough when I went there first because couldn't drive any place um, when I arrived there first. Basically, I was locked out of the house when we got there first. So I travelled from um, sort of Shannon to I think it was possibly Philly, I think, to Detroit, and then drove from Detroit down. But I mean, it was like two a.m. American time when I got there, and I'd been up a very like awake a very long time at that point got to the house with the other English guy and we're just locked out of the house. There was no key left out or anything. So you're basically just standing outside after traveling for hours. And that was tough. And then like, there was no electricity for the first two weeks either. So like, there was no like hot showers, or anything like that. So like, it was kind of, um, kind of a welcome to America type thing for me. Like it wasn't the easiest transition, but again, it got easier after that as you kind of integrate into it and things. And again, once you get your bank accounts set up, mobile phone, all that, it just makes you feel more at home really. Yeah, I think one of the small things that was a lifesaver for me um, at the time was um, when, I, when I first moved over, my father couldn't even text. Um, he was just totally against technology. But, um, you know, probably six months or a year into it, um, I got a text from him. I was like, what's that all about? And um, mom and dad, they were away at a weekend and apparently he was just texting then. So um, he ended up getting an iPhone and now I like FaceTime even now and Skype and stuff. So. That's a little bit different, you know, because um, you do take account for the time difference as well. But I think we're at a little bit of an advantage because I, I knew a um, coach that uh, went to the same college as me, an Irish guy from um, the 70s or 80s. And back then it was just, you know, send a letter and uh, you're really on your own for, you know, four or six weeks and, until someone gets back to you. But it is a little bit easier now, but it's definitely not without its challenges, right? It's not. Not that, not that it's not a perfect scenario, but there's a lot of things you don't see online or people posting about that, you know, can impact your your ability to stay there, right? Oh, absolutely. Because I think with social media and that as well, it's all just the highlights of someone's life, isn't it? So like you have players who go to the US and scholarships and they just kind of post 
the best of stuff, but you don't see the homesickness and you know just everything you have to go through because you are alone basically and like I'd never been to America before it was my first time going there and I, I remember even even the first time that I stepped out in in it was actually Boston airport that I went through but I was stepped out into Boston and just the heat that was like there it was like so hot and I was just like how am I going to do preseason training and this like like I couldn't do like when I came back after my first year and I went to I stayed in Cleveland just for a couple of weeks but I remember just going out for a 10 minute run and I couldn't even like I just couldn't breathe it was just that hot you know and like that can take a lot of getting used to this but you do get used to it after like a couple of weeks you're fine but mm-hmm. that initial transition period can be so difficult like with the climate and things like that it can just be be a real challenge absolutely yeah like for me I had an extra year of eligibility and I was playing in Pennsylvania and I um, signed with school in North Carolina but that summer I was training in Pennsylvania and it, it was warm you know up in, up in that area in Ohio Pennsylvania it can get hot but it's a whole nother level when you get to um, North Carolina. And then below that, you know, in Texas, I had Paddy Fitzgerald come on. It's another level completely. So if you are getting your training in, um, yeah, you're making benefit and, you know, it's, it's beneficial for you. But there will be that adjustment period. Um, some of the research I looked at is like saying that within five or 10 days, you're acclimatized. But to be honest, I, I thought it was weeks. Did you feel kind of the same? yeah absolutely no it took took me a while to be honest because that's why I always went back a little bit earlier and that's why initially the first time that I went there I just went a little bit earlier because I just wanted to give myself that time to adjust and rather than just because there were some players arrived just the day before preseason started obviously you had the jet lag to get over and adjusting to the climate and things like that but no it definitely took you know at least a couple of weeks to to adjust to it Mm -hmm. once you did finish with um, preseason and kind of season itself what did you do for the off season personally? Because there is a lot of, um, it's almost like there's a lot of dead time and dead periods where it's just, you know, you either train yourself or, you know, we'll see you in four weeks, six weeks, seven weeks after winter break. So um, how did you come up with a plan to kind of stay busy and focus on, you know, that big picture goal that you did have? Yeah. So, I mean, it can be quite unique to such a long off season that you have, but I suppose how it looked for me is you had someone the season finished November, you were completely off kind of November, December. So I just kind of did my own training, just a little bit of running, but most most of the time it's just kind of recharge really because I suffered a lot of injuries in my first season as well. So it was just kind of a case of recovering from them. But then once you come back in January, I mean our schedule kind of it was a Monday to Friday schedule. So Monday was just small group training. So you train because with NCAA uh, regulations and all that, you can only train in small groups. So we used to train inside, so obviously it's snowing quite heavily from whatever, like December mm-hmm. to March, April. So um, it was just inside on a basketball court, basically. So we didn't have kind of an indoor astroturf or anything like that. So it was just on a basketball court, just doing basic kind of drills for an hour, just in small groups. You do 1v1s, 2v2s, uh, passing drills, that sort of thing. And then that was you done for a Monday, Tuesday, then we'd have lifting at kind of 6 a.m. So the main focus on that was kind of lower body stuff, um, basically just kind of lifting as heavy as possible which isn't always the best which we'll, we'll get into I'm sure but um, that was kind of thing you just lifting kind of as heavy as possible on a Tuesday and Wednesday uh, just a small group stuff again you do an agility session in the afternoon as well and then Thursday and Friday were boat lifting sessions as well so once Friday by say 3 p.m came you were kind of done but again I was always doing kind of additional stuff to that as well so I was in the gym myself 
I was doing kind of, I do a lot of running. So we had an indoor track as well as smaller tracks. So I do a lot of interval running there. Um, but for the most part, that was kind of schedule uh, Monday to Friday. Um, and then that lasted until kind of March, April. And then the spring season kicked in where you trained uh, three times outside. And then the lifting kind of tapered off a little bit. But yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went. It's a long off season, but I kind of tried to make the most of it because I wasn't satisfied with how my first season went. I think with all the injuries and things like that. So, and again, you're kind of under pressure as well to to keep your scholarship as well because there was a guy, an English guy, that had his scholarship pretty drastically reduced after the first year. So it's kind of something that's in the back of your mind that you do kind of need to keep your scholarship because you can't afford to stay there if, if you're having to, to pay thousands for tuition. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a bit of a driving force for me and that's kind of why I worked so, so hard just kind of in that off season just to kind of get up to the level that I knew I could get to. So, um, but again, some of the work that I was doing wasn't directly kind of applicable to football and I think it did kind of hinder my performance in kind of long term as such, um, which I have rectified now, but in, in that time it was kind of hindering my performance a little bit. Um, but yeah, it kind of can be boring at times, um, but yeah, you just kind of try and make the most of it really. Yeah, the scholarship thing is a big deal. Like I had a teammate from Scotland that ended up moving back because of grades, um, but there can be, I, I don't know if it was just my college, but there can be some animosity there as well in that you're an international kid and sometimes it's seen that you're coming over and taking an American kid's scholarship, you know. Um, I don't think we really helped ourselves to an extent at my university because we uh, we had 17 internationals on our team. So I remember looking at one game and there was one American kid in the starting 11. Um, a great experience on our end because you, you meet people all over the world and different cultures, personalities and everything. But uh, I think sometimes you kind of have to be careful of, what situation you're getting yourself into because there, there can be some things behind the scene from you know financial or administrative aspect that you know you don't know going in yeah no I totally agree with you because again you are and we were told that as well when we came in um all the internationals were kind of um told to stay behind um after a team meeting and told that like although you might be used to drinking in your own country there's like obviously the age is 21 here and there's like a lot of them weren't 21 and you know, we're just told to, it's obviously there is a drinking culture coming from like Ireland and the UK and that and we're just kind of told like you have to like tone it down a bit and you can't be getting yourself in trouble like that and stuff like that and you know we were told as well because we're all there in scholarship and we were kind of explicitly told that as well that we do get quite a lot of the, the scholarship money in comparison to the American players so we, they, mm-hmm. they did hold us to a higher standard which is fair enough but then I think that went to the extremes uh, sometimes as regards kind of injuries I think personally for myself with injuries that I sustained I think they kind of pushed it a little bit too much because the thing was they were like well we're giving you this m- amount of scholarship money you just tape it up tape it up take painkillers and kind of away you go so there was that kind of pressure as well um but yeah definitely you're held to kind of a higher standard yeah one of the things I would advise people is to try and uh, speak with a coach just on a personal level before you do commit and not just talk you know financials or numbers look to get an idea of like their, their training philosophy, you know, how they recruit and their style of play, things like that. Because at the end of the day, I, I've had a little bit kind of a change in mindset just from being in the university setting, but it's a business at the end of the day, you know, you're a product and you're an investment. Like you said, um, people are putting money in, they, they expect that return, you know, 
regardless of you know player safety or player health at times. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, you are just an investment, and I think it's just the way college sports are in the US. They just try and get the best out of you for three, four years, but they don't kind of care what happens to you after that. Mm-hmm. So, from like say for me personally, kind of once I was done at the university, they didn't care whether I had kind of ongoing medical issues, like I struggled massively with my ankles in the years after, because all they did was just tape them up rather than kind of fixing the issue itself. But they didn't care, like as long as I was able to kind of get through the the games and stuff like that. So. I suppose, yeah, like you said, it is just kind of a business and they do kind of, they are investing money in you. So they do try and get the most out of you, which is fair enough to a point if you're getting money for something you are expected to perform and things like that. But at the same time, there has to be kind of a balance between it really, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you finished up at University of Finlay, um, can you kind of fill in the gaps a little bit? I know you ended up in Germany somehow and you were playing there. Um, Can you fill in what you did after graduation up until kind of big picture what you're doing now? Yeah, so it was um, when, I mean, Germany was just something I always kind of tinkered with and it kind of came down to even when I was at UCD, it was kind of a choice of kind of going to Germany and starting the lower leagues or going to the US as well. And kind of just when I was about finishing at UCD, I actually had a professional trial in Germany um, with a club college sport friend of Ziegen, which play in the, they play in the fourth tier of German football, which is full time. So I ended up just kind of, I basically got in contact with someone online and he said he was an American guy actually who was playing there. And he said, if you just want to come over, I can ask, can you train with kind of the under 23 team and then see, can I get into the first team? So I just took a chance on it, went over, trained, didn't do very well with the under 23 team on the Monday night. But at the same time, he still took a chance on me and just turned up to the stadium on the Tuesday morning. Um, he went into the coach, just said that there was a guy here from Ireland. Um, could he just train? Uh, this morning and he said yeah they were kind of low on numbers and that so I just kind of got into training and it was a bit surreal obviously to be training with kind of mm-hmm. full-time players in Germany because they play just the fourth division in Germany it's where all the kind of Bundesliga reserve teams play so you had like the Borussia Dortmund reserve team Schalke, Borussia Mönchengladbach all those so it was quite, quite an experience kind of going and play against players who had even played in those teams who had been in Bundesliga academies and things like that so a bit surreal to be honest to be, to be on the same training pitch as them but ended up doing well in that session and got asked back for the afternoon session um didn't nothing ever came after that but it kind of proved to me that I could kind of maybe perform at that level which over I think the big thing with that is although I performed for a couple of training sessions you need to be consistent at that level and I knew I wasn't quite there but again he, like the guy offered to try and get me trials in like the fifth division which would be kind of semi-professional level but at that time I had got the offer from Finley so it was kind of a no-brainer really and I started, decided to go with Finley but like Germany was just always something that was in the back of my mind and like I spoke quite good German um, learned it in, in school and that and I just liked the language and I liked the country and I visited a few times and things like that so mm-hmm. it was just something that always appealed to me so when I knew in the US I think there was just kind of a bit of a not kind of a toxic atmosphere I suppose just for what I wanted to do there was a lot of kind of like as we said like kind of partying drinking that sort of thing and it wasn't kind of where I needed to be if I wanted to get where I wanted to go as such so I knew I kind of had to get out of that environment really so I just kind of started contacting a lot of German teams just on social media really that was that was how I did it and ended up getting a club in just 40 minutes outside Frankfurt um, called uh, SG Kinsenbach. So they played in the sixth uh, tier, which is like quite a good division of, of German football. And like in comparison, it'd probably be the same as kind of D2 or, you know, that sort of thing. So it was, it was really good. And I signed the contract before I even went there, which was good as well. They kind of took a chance on me and just kind of signed me. So ended up going there in 
January 2017. So that was kind of a big culture shock for me, really, because I think coming from the US, and I know you spoke as well just on your last podcast with um, with Sam, with a teammate of yours, it was quite a good podcast, that very similar to kind of my story when I went, when he went to, um, when he went to, uh, was the UK that he went to? Uh, he was in or Ireland, he was in the UK and he was in Ireland, Israel yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah, quite around, but I think it was when, when he went to Israel, actually, that's when it kind of resonated with me a lot, kind of just that loneliness and kind of, bounce around kind of from team to team and kind of struggling with just being by yourself because it's a massive transition when you come out of that kind of environment in the US where you're living with friends and teammates and there's always something happening and there's always people around and then you go to Germany where it's not I was basically just living by myself in an apartment where in a very very small German town as well so there was like very little going on very few people spoke English as well and although I was able to speak German a little bit like I was never able to have a proper conversation with anyone and it was just I think that kind of loneliness and kind of things like that just kind of really really took its toll and like only lasted kind of two or three months there before I was just like it just wasn't wasn't for me and I was just kind of struggling too much with it and although the football was fantastic and I really enjoyed it and I have to say like the German kind of football culture is really good as well because once you join the team like everyone makes you feel pretty welcome in that and I never had an issue with that but I think just stuff off the pitch I just kind of really struggled with it and that's why I just decided to go back to Ireland then really. Mm-hmm. Um, when you did go back to Ireland were you looking like at what point did you think of a, a business in football um, uh, was it at a point where you realized you're, you're not going to play professionally or was that something that you wanted to do on the side with um, some of the marketing that you're doing now? I mean it was always something I wanted to do and I think even from age of 14 15 I always kind of had like blogs and that and always kind of saw the potential in kind of online marketing and things so like I said earlier I kind of always combined academics and football and I kind of always had interests outside of football as well mm-hmm. so it was just kind of something that I kind of got into and like just yeah like I mean I worked a few different jobs and that when I came back to Ireland um, it took a while before I started kind of 90 minutes fitness and that but yeah, it was just just kind of something I always wanted to do and yeah. something. I what what was your adjustment like moving back to Ireland? You know, obviously it wasn't um, long term as such. You, you know, you've been to a couple of places since, but um, was there any kind of challenges for you when when you did move back versus when you left? Yeah, so I think the big thing for for me, Kevin Reed, was just I felt kind of lost when I went back because I'd always kind of had a focus kind of all throughout my life. So it was kind of UCD, then it was America, then it was Germany. And I think once that ended. I mean, I just kind of didn't know kind of where to go next because I hadn't kind of any any plan really. So it was kind of, I think just being lost was kind of the biggest thing um, and kind of figuring out kind of where to where to go from there. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I still wanted to play football and I still wanted to pursue it really to kind of the highest level that I could. But it just, it wasn't going to be the easiest kind of path as such because I kind of, like as I said, I had no focus. I had no kind of goal. Like America was a goal, Germany was a goal. And now I was kind of just like, back where I started as such so it's kind of a, a difficult enough transition yeah um how do you feel about you know people saying you don't know, go all in on your goals you know it, do you think there should be some constraints there because I'm sure you've conversations with a lot of people now from around the world about you have to be all in if you want to go professionally but um are there some other options kids need to look at yeah definitely because I think there is this kind of glamorized culture of kind of like dream chasing and all this but a lot of people don't realize exactly what it's like um I think especially on kind of social media and stuff it is glamorized to just kind of like pack up your bags and move to a different country and like 
chasing your dream and all that and which which I fully encourage and like you never want to discourage anyone from doing what they want to do but at the same time there are other factors involved so like a big problem that I run into just with a lot of players who contact me on, on Instagram and stuff is that they want to, it's a lot of American players and they want to play in Europe. And like the first thing I ask them is, do you have a visa to actually come to Europe? And they don't. And like, you just can't, like, you just can't stay in Europe if you can't get a visa. And like, that's the most basic thing. And it comes down to like visa, financial situations, like language barriers. Can you adjust the culture? Like there's so many things like, and I think as I said, it's just kind of glamorized a little bit. I think just kind of packing up your bags and going, which is all well and good. But then once you get there, it's kind of reality hits and you have to have kind of those those foundations in place to be able to kind of sustain yourself over the coming months and kind of create that kind of groundwork so you can actually succeed on the pitch as well. Yeah, through your business, um, 90 Minute Fitness, um, I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions. Um, obviously, you answered about the planning aspect, but are there other things um, players are kind of missing, missing the ball on as such or dropping the ball on with regards to their own training or you know, their day-to-day activities? Yeah, so I think, again, it's like one of the biggest questions I get is like how to how to increase speed because everyone just kind of wants speed. So it's mm-hmm. kind of one of the biggest questions I get. But again, there's no like, there's no one answer to it. Like speed is like, there's so many different factors involved in it. So like, you know, it's, it's, it's not one, there's not one workout. So people often ask me, just give me a workout to increase speed, but like there's not one element. Like it could be down to your technique. You could be losing energy that way. You might not be kind of generating, like you might actually have the strength in your legs, but you might not be generating that force with your technique to actually be efficient in your movement. So like that's a big thing as well. But so there's not one size fits all. And like I often say, like I, unless I could actually like work with you as such and I like see how you move and kind of examine your day-to-day schedule and see kind of what work you've actually done already, I can't kind of give you an answer to that and there's not really kind of a straightforward answer to it. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I see it the same here. Um, uh, I'm working in person with people, you know, it, it, it can be difficult at times um, because at the end of the day, you don't know people's constraints, you know, um, what their daily schedule is like at times and, you know, how many teams they're training with, um, how many even different sports that they're playing at the same time. So that's a... It's an interesting point. You and make. have have you found Kevin just with obviously kind of working with American athletes? But what I found there is a big culture of kind of lifting heavy within America and things like that, and it's all about kind of how much you can bench and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you find that kind of American athletes have that kind of mentality of just kind of lifting heavy? And do you ever find kind of movement problems within athletes that kind of cause them injuries in the long term? Yeah, I I think one of the big things about like culturally is that. Um, I think the reason there is a push for like those numbers as such are, are times is because they're objective and they're easy to rank. You know, if, if we're both on the same teammate and then it's like very subjective if we're both playing left back, you know, who's the coach going to pick and the coach picks you and not me. And oh, it's because the coach doesn't like me or like you, you know, things like that. But when you look at objective data, it kind of gives you the false sense of security that, of I, I work harder than this person or I'm more athletic than that person but sport a lot of times can be pretty subjective right but um, I think the issue you run into is that because people are looking for those objective numbers and there's a lot of stuff online too with speed clinics and speed counts 
um, the business aspect of pushing objective numbers in America is massive. So if I'm running a camp, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's going to sign up if I say we'll like increase or we'll increase your overall performance or, you know, decrease your likelihood of injury. People want to know exactly, you know, am I going to put two inches on my vertical or take off, you know, a tenth of a second on my 40 yard dash. So I think the objective versus subjective thing is, is the driver really, and not necessarily effort or, you know, intent is, is a factor. Now I will say when I first came over in 2011, I, like you said, I, I did hear a lot of that stuff online was, um, oh, make sure you come over, you're fit and you're strong because these American kids are going to crush you and this and that. And I ended up being the fittest player on the team um, by, by a good distance. And um, for me, it was because I was scared coming in. Like, I knew I had the technical ability, but um, fitness, a lot of, like, aerobic fitness, like, long-distance fitness is something that you really can control yourself. So if you show up and you're not fit on day one, the coach is going to add ah, this person doesn't really work, you know, and you make a bad impression on day one. So again, that, that can be objective too. You know, if you're running a two mile in under 12 minutes, we have to do that at one team. Um, there's different challenges as such or fitness tests out there, but uh, a lot of coaches will push um, the objective testing as well, which you don't really see at home or throughout Europe, you know, you, you do see now, I, th I think you see people doing beat tests, for example, but they're not really using those as standards. They're using them more for, for like assessment. So you can base distances and running off of that and individualized training. It's not a case of if you fail this test, you know, we're going to cut you from the team. So the objective kind of data, the coaches like as well, because uh, I, I've worked firsthand in um, women's soccer in Division One, and w when they're kind of stuck between a player and, you know, you don't want to overthink it subjectively or look back at video, you can go, oh, there's an objective number, you know, GPS or sprint speed, and you're like, oh, that's the decision made from there. Um, but from a strength and conditioning perspective, there's a lot of people um, in our field that don't have a background in soccer itself. You know, it is a big sport now. It's the most played sport by youths in America but the reality is a lot of coaches um, in strength condition have the American sport backgrounds you know they were football players or baseball players um, or you know somewhere along that line where power and strength and maximum intent are like game defining attributes you know whereas for soccer um, some of the best players I've played with you know couldn't pass um the two mile and 12 minutes or, you know, couldn't squat for body weight, but technically um, their perception of the game and their decision-making and, you know, their quick thinking ability is what set them apart and not, you know, physical traits. So Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think again, just for me at Finley, all the coach, all the strength and conditioning coaches were all kind of former college football players and that. So they come from that background of kind of lifting heavy. So they don't kind of fully, kind of comprehend the demands of soccer and things like that so they, they train you in such a way as to just increase that kind of strength and powers if you're kind of a, an American football athlete rather than kind of a, a, so a soccer player which is I mean it just there's so many demands on your body for soccer and there's that obviously the technical aspect to it as well so like you said I think we all know players who, who can't uh, squat their body weight in the gym but yet can like ping a ball 40 50 yards accurately which is when it comes down to is 
the argument is there is it more important which I suppose it is really I mean as long as they're performing on the pitch I mean whether they what they can squat is kind of irrelevant sometimes as long as the performance is there but then I always think as well if if they actually put the emphasis on the athletic side of it as well what level could they reach because I think a lot of even the English guys that I played with they were never too fond of the gym and things like that but technically they were excellent and mm-hmm. they used to always say to me well like I'm at this level I'm doing well like technically but kind of my argument would be well if you were to put that effort into the athletic side of it what level could you get to although you're at this level if you were to push that side of it what level could you get to then yeah I mean focusing on technical ability it can be hard at the end of the day you know if you're on your own and like, what are you supposed to do? Kick a ball to yourself, or you know, focus on your first touch with a wall. Um, but that that can be draining for a lot of kids. Um, doing that an hour every day, whereas if you you know you're in the gym and you're doing an hour in the gym and you're sweating or you're in bits, you you kind of have that feedback mechanism where this is more beneficial. You know, I'm working harder. Um, but by the time you get back out on the pitch again, you know, you haven't really increased your technical ability whatsoever so um that that can be a tough sell for some people too you know yeah so i think again there's um especially in america as well there's kind of the the one-to-one coach culture as well so i remember going to like this i went on a showcase thing to, to latvia as well where you kind of played against professional teams and things like that and it was all basically american players there and like the guy that i was rooming with he didn't actually even play on a team back in America. He just had like a private one-to-one coach. So he didn't even like play on a team. And it was just private coaching that he had. But like, although like private coaching is like good as an addition to your training, like you need to be in that team environment and you need to be put in those unpredictable situations where you have to make decisions and things like that. So like the one-to-one coaching, it's great to supplement that. But I think sometimes maybe in America, there's always kind of this emphasis on kind of one-to-one coaching and, kind of that sort of thing rather than just getting out there playing and developing those instincts so I think that can be kind of something that in in the American game if you look kind of the top American players at the moment you know like Pulisic at Chelsea and things like that like he just he just has those instincts from playing and things like that and he's not like although he's like very very fast and things like that he's not like a physical beast like you wouldn't look at him and say like he has like incredible strength anything like that but he has that speed and he has that technical ability and the ability to make decisions which ultimately kind of led him to get into the very, very top level. Yeah, you made a great point there about just being, being getting used to other players. Um, I remember uh, when maybe I was 12 or 13 and you play with the club team, but then you try and play with the county team or a development team. And um, I remember I had a poor trial once and I, I was talking to my father about it and it's like, oh, I, I didn't do well because I didn't know the kid that, I was playing beside or, you know, I didn't know their name and things like that. But um, he was basically like, get over yourself because, you know, if you want to perform on stuff or you want to make teams, you're going to play with players that you might not even know their name. Um, so you, you do need to be around different types of players, personalities. And like you said, one-on-one just at times, it's just not going to cut it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Aiden, that's uh, all I have for you today. I'm a little cautious of time as it is a uh, New Year's Eve recording. I appreciate you coming on. No, absolutely. No, it's my pleasure. So like I said, you've had kind of some great content on the podcast and that, and I think it's kind of making making a big difference. Like I said, I've even got kind of a few things from kind of guests that you've had on and that, and I think it's interesting to see kind of everyone's kind of different perspective and things like that. And I think especially there's, 
when you think about it, there's a lot of players from Watford have gone to the US and things like that as well. So it's always kind of good to see kind of everyone's different kind of experiences and things like that and kind of what they're kind of doing after. So no, it's been great. Like you're doing great with the podcast and things like that. So great, excited to see what's what's to come in 2021. Yeah, I, I think like the main thing is I haven't really seen anybody out there that really is putting out, uh, I don't want to say like great content, but you know, unique perspectives from behind the scenes. Um, there's a lot of strength and conditioning coaching podcasts, but when you're looking for a key takeaway or a key perspective, it can be vague a lot of times, you know, so um, yeah. glad you found it helpful. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. 